0: Come on. Let's pray, shall we, before we come to God's Word? Our Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you've drawn us, each one, here this morning, in in this building, under the sound of your Word, Lord, the Word that has been preserved for us all this time. And we thank you, Lord, that your Word is a living Word. And that Holy Spirit, you speak to us through this word. Directing us through the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father in heaven. Oh God, what a privilege we've got coming to your precious word. So Father, we just pray that we would learn more of you. Become more like the Lord Jesus. We pray Lord, in our weakness. May your strength be seen and evident. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so really this this is continuing on from where Jeff spoke a couple of weeks ago from the Lord's Supper. Think about all the sinful thoughts, words and actions that you personally have had, spoken and taken this last week or even in the last 24 hours. Then multiply that by your whole lifetime. Then multiply that by how many people have lived or who will ever live until Jesus returns. It's staggering. It's a sobering thought. Unimaginable. We can't comprehend it. And I think that's the tone of this passage. We're coming to Gethsemane, this hallowed ground. I've said to a couple of people uh, as I've been preparing, it felt like, obviously not the same, but it felt a little like when Moses was confronted with the burning bush and the the Lord spoke to him from the burning But He was standing on holy ground and he had to take his sandals off. Or like Joshua uh, when he was faced with the commander of the army of the Lord. This is a holy moment that we're considering, that we've been given a privilege to have an insight into. And this is the heart of what the cross is all about. And most of it is beyond us, well, it's beyond me. Um, It's a mystery because it raises questions like, why is jesus who would work so many miracles seem like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders now why is jesus who came into the world to die so like someone ready to faint as death draws near and as we'll see we'll go through this passage this morning in matthew this wasn't mainly about the physical pain that was to come however beyond these things there's still practical lessons that you remain and learn by looking at and learning from jesus so in today's passage You and me will be able to say what Jesus prioritized in his greatest hour of need, how he responded to his father's will, and why the warning he gave his disciples is still relevant to you and me today. So let's consider God's word together. We're speaking um, from Matthew, sorry, reading from Matthew 26, chapter 26, Verse 36. That's Matthew 26, and starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is God's word. So where this fits in the the, uh, Matthew's account of the gospel is simply this. Before this happened, uh, there was a plot against Jesus building amongst the religious leaders. That had been building for some time. And if you can imagine like a storm gathering, the clouds were gathering at this point, but now this storms broke uh, as we come to this passage. And Judas agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver behind the, uh, before this time. And as I said before, Jeff brought us what happened at the Lord's Supper. And after this, Jesus is arrested. He goes before the religious leaders and Pilate and Jesus is crucified. So that's that's where this all fits in to um, the gospel story that Matthew, as we call it for us. So the first thing we're going to think about is the priority of prayer, the priority of prayer. So looking in verse 38, he said to them, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me." Jesus was praying when his soul was sorrowful and troubled. He was facing the most severe temptation that he was ever going to face as he reached the goal of his mission, the whole reason why he came to earth. And he fell on his face to the ground, something so dramatic in prayer, in humility, in agony, and in sorrow. And he repeated this prayer three times in verses 39, 42, and 44. And that's the key to the whole of this passage when we look at these prayers. It tells us about the agony of the Son of God and the will of the Father. So verse 39, he prays this. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If it is possible. So we see something different here to Jesus' prayers before. If you look in John's Gospel, in um, chapter 17, you see this high, we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And the, there's a wonderful prayer that comes out of him that we haven't got time to consider. And, but there's a strength that he gets from the far, his Father in heaven. And it's all the way through that prayer. But this is a different kind of prayer. If it is possible. So what Jesus was praying here was, if God could be glorified and man saved... And Jesus' mission accomplished without Jesus drinking down this bitter cup, Jesus asks, in the deepest of reverence, is this the only way, Father? If not, stick to the plan. It's a plain fact that you and me can't avoid troubles and trials um, in life. It could be your own personal health. It could be the health of a loved one. It could be um, other family issues that might be going on in your life. It could be work-related or study-related, if you're still at college or university. It could be difficulties within friendships or relationships. It could be bereavement. These are all things at some point in our lives that are going to touch each and every one of us. And in times of suffering, you and me We sometimes wish we knew the future, don't we? Or understood the reason for the suffering or the anguish. Why is this happening? Why is this happening now, Lord? Right now in my life? Or if you're going through something, will it ever end? Is it ever going to end? Prayer. It's never out of season, if you like, but it's especially in season when we're going through a trial, isn't it? Somebody once said, um, a troubled soul finds the most comfort when alone with God, who fully understands the broken language of our sighs and groans. And that's a lesson for you and me when praying, if it is possible, that's the key word, uh, the key phrase. And the thing that we ask for is for God's glory, then it will be done. Jesus knew that more than anyone. And yet, Jesus knew what lay ahead of him, and the reason he was there. And far beyond what I could ever experience or imagine. I mean, what does it take to say, yet not as I will, but as you will, especially when you know what's coming? Jesus knew. So the first thing is simple. It's the first thing to do. What's the first thing to do in our time of trouble? It's to pray. This might sound basic, and it is, in a way. But it's so important, because so many times I don't do that. First person to turn to our Father in heaven. Again, simple, but I don't always do that. But what about when you can't put your pain into words? Scripture tells us this in Romans 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit within us is our helper. Jesus' second prayer in verse 42 sounds very similar, but there's a slight change. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. And the key phrase there is, if it is not, because that's the answer to the first prayer. This is the only way. This is God's answer. This is God's will. And the third prayer in verse 44, we're told, was the same prayer as before. This is the only way. It's the same answer whatever trial you might be going through, whatever trial you might face in the future, God will either remove it, and I believe he can and does, or he'll give us the grace to endure it. And that's not easy. It's not easy. But he did this for Jesus, and he'll do this for you and for me. So you and me should speak with God about all of our sorrow. He's not going to be shocked. He's not going to be angered by it. He's going to think, again, nothing's too trivial to be laid before him. Keep nothing back from him for as long as we do this, submitting full to his will, his answer will come. It might not always be the answer that we're hoping for or looking for, but if we're doing it in that spirit, and in that attitude, his answer will come, and it will be the best answer for us. Our Father has our best interests at heart. And you might not be going through a trial at the moment, but whether you are or not, let's store this lesson up in our hearts and our minds. <laughs> Second thing we're going to be thinking about is submission or submitting to God's will. And the first thing... That you might think is an unusual phrase. What's that about? Is it's mentioned in both of um, Jesus' prayers in 39 and 42. He mentions this cup, a cup. What's that about? So in the Old Testament, just briefly, the cup is either a person or a nation's God-determined destiny. That's what it's talking about. So it could be a blessing. It could be a disaster. It could be salvation or it could be wrath. It could be any one of those things. In Isaiah 51 and 17, it says this. Isaiah 51:17 says, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained of its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. So this is the cup Jesus is praying about, the cup of God's wrath. And the best description I could find for God's wrath that I could understand anyway was God's righteous anger being poured out against our deliberate disobedience. God's righteous anger being poured out against our deliberate disobedience. Let's just think a little about this this area that we're in, this Gethsemane place. It literally meant the oil press. It was a garden area as part of the Mount of Olives where the olive oil was being prepared. And olives were crushed and ground there to make the oil in that area. And that just sent my mind racing back to a a part of scripture that a lot of us will be familiar with. But even if you're not, take time to read Isaiah 53 in your own time. But one verse, one part of a verse in Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And this is what I'm talking about. This is a mystery. Jesus, who was once anointed with oil, was now going to be crushed by his Father in heaven. This was God's will. And Jesus was submitting to God's will by becoming a curse for us and taking the brunt of God's wrath against sin. It had to be dealt with, but Jesus was taking that on behalf of us. In Galatians 3.13, Paul says this, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. God couldn't save us and save his only son from this. That was the answer to this prayer. He couldn't do both. From a young age, the sinful nature can be seen. So for example, the one that came immediately to your mind was children with toys in the creche. There'll be absolute carnage going on now. And you and me like our own way, don't we? we like our own way. And that goes on into adulthood. Um, I think it was Queen, uh, the song. uh, The phrase that came into mind: "I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now." Somebody's nodding. Okay, I got it right. That's our attitude. Check your will. I'm not talking about the bid when you die. Check your will. Can you take disappointment or not getting your own way? Can you put up with unexpected trials and troubles patiently? Can you watch your best laid plans crash and burn without complaining? Can you be still and suffer calmly as well as going about your busy activities and work? Check your will. Now, before you think, oh, I'll never reach that standard. That doesn't mean going round with a permanent smile on your face or having a warm, fuzzy feeling inside all the time. It doesn't mean that. As we can say from the passage to dear, Jesus didn't always rejoice, but he could always say, may your will be done. If you think about when the disciples early in Jesus' ministry, that asked Jesus, Lord, Teach us how to pray. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly teaching how to pray. In Matthew six ten, he said this: "Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." It's something that you just say without almost thinking. But take take in those words: "Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." It's not as easy to put it into practice. Jesus then was submitting fully to the will of God. And he did this by going to the cross, and he did it with joy because it was the will of God, the will of his Father. In John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is what I get my sustenance from. This is what strengthens me. This is my everything, really, that keeps me going, my purpose. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus is our obvious, obvious ultimate example to copy. Drinking the cup which God puts in our hands, however bitter it may be at the time, and that's not an easy thing to say, I know that. (coughs) By humbly submitting to God's will by his grace... Even though, humanly speaking, we'll still struggle at times. This is not a perfectionism that I'm preaching this morning. I know that. I don't have to look any further than in the mirror. And why do we do this? Because you and me will become more like Jesus through our trials, giving glory to God. These trials are refining us, we're told. They're refining us and we're an unfinished work in God's eyes, but he will take that work on to completion, each and every one of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ. So those trials are refining us um, like the wood in a, a refiner's fire. So the final thing to draw out, if you like, watch out for temptation. What a joy, what a joy and a comfort it is when brothers and sisters rally round And support each other in the hour of need. Prayers, practical help, support, friendship. Probably each one of us at some point or another could testify to that. I hope, I hope, could testify to that. As being a recipient of that kind of support. Jesus had miserable comforters in his greatest hour of need. Jesus submitted to God's will, but his disciples submitted to sleep. And we're told in verse 37, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, they're James and John. So Peter, James, and John. They were there for a specific purpose. The rest of the disciples were with them, but Jesus singled them three out and took them further into this garden. The others stopped at a distance away and he took these three. He's in a circle, if you like, his closest disciples were told. And early on, during Jesus' ministry on earth, um, they'd enjoyed that mountaintop experience of the transfiguration, and they wanted to hang around there longer. They loved that. Wow, the bright lights. There's Elijah. Wow, there's Moses. And there's Jesus glorified. Let's stay around here longer. But now, like I said, that storm had gathered, the storm had broke, and now in Gethsemane were there to witness Jesus' agony up close and personal to prepare them for what was to come. And if the hope to reign with them, why shouldn't they always also expect to suffer with them? There's good counsel here from Jesus, good counsel in verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or I prefer the flesh is weak, but the flesh is weak. The disciples were being drawn near to a time of temptation, and Jesus knew this. Would they stop believing and trusting Jesus once he was arrested, deny and desert him, have nothing to do with him anymore? They were wandering sleepily into a trap that Jesus had already told them about. If you look at the passage just before uh, our passage, Uh, this this morning. In verse 31 of the same chapter, it says this, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if I fall away on account of you, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. i tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Even though the Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, there's also the reality, the equal reality, that there's still some kind of civil war going on inside every believer me? I'm speaking personally, so um, you can leave that up to yourself. But in Scripture, I think it describes this perfectly. In Romans 7, 21, 23, Paul says this. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. So there's this civil war going on. So in a weird way, take encouragement if that's your experience because that kind of tells you, you've been born again. You're our new creation. But there's that still that civil war that's going to go on until we reach glory. And these two sides are constantly in battle with each other. Jesus calls one spirit and one flesh. And Jesus uses this weakness as an argument to watch and pray. If you were in a war zone and came to somewhere that you needed to get through, which is landmines all around it, you'd be a fool just to walk straight through without first seeking out and asking the expert how to get through this minefield. You and me, we cannot walk too carefully and can't be too precious about our souls. The world's full of temptations. You don't have to look far to find temptations. They're like landmines ready to blow up, taking our legs from under us at any moment, and we'll fall. Our spirits may sometimes be very, very willing, but let's not forget that our flesh is always weak. As you may go about our daily lives, let's have a watch and prayer, like a like a pop up reminder, if you like, in our hearts and minds, living like you are on enemy ground and always being on your guard. Because our flesh is weak, you and me, we both, we all need supernatural power. Again, I'm thinking about the Lord's Prayer. So, so-called, back in Matthew six thirteen, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. There's a song, there's a hymn, old hymn, and one of the verses says, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Once on holiday, um, David Oliver had the thankless task of trying to wake up our Michael. And um, I don't know what went on you know, for the duration of that time, but after several attempts, he ended up using a saucepan and spoon. And we're laughing, yeah, yeah, but it's true. Um, sometimes it takes drastic measures to wake us up and take action, doesn't it? So the final verses, the last two verses, 45 and 46, 46, says this. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. When Jesus came back the third time that evening, he allowed his disciples to be alarmed with the approaching danger. Um, I noticed... Well, I've noticed for the last few weeks, really, that King's kids have been learning um, these last few weeks that this wasn't a surprise for Jesus. Thinking about the whole account of the Easter account. And uh, this wasn't a surprise for Jesus. If the disciples couldn't be woken up with Jesus' words, he let an angry mob with swords and clubs to wake them up instead. And we'll be finding that out um, as we go through. Sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives to wake us up. And it's then up to us if we rise, like Jesus said in that last verse, or we fall, as he said earlier, fall into temptation. So, thinking about rise, Jesus had watched and prayed. So, he was ready to do the will of the Father. He was ready for what was to come. And he was ready to drink the cup. He's our example to follow, to watch and pray. The disciples, they're still so dull, as Jesus described them somewhere else, and unaware of what's really happening here. They were defeated, demoralized. Uh, Was this the end of the road for them? Would they all die together and that's that? Game over? Their, Their example is a warning for you and for me of how easy it is to fall into temptation. They had spent three solid years with the Lord Jesus Christ in person. Three years. And this is how Father God. And this is nothing new. When we're thinking about earlier the, the crash, and our sinful nature, um, when Adam and Eve disappeared, God in another garden, the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. And they both effectively, because they have both effectively said to God, not your will, but mine be done. And this has been humanity's story ever since by following in Adam and Eve's footsteps after the fall. Our way, my way. And yet Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane says, "Not yet not as I will, but as you will. Humanity as it's meant to be. Watch and pray, and then rise. That's God's way. So, summing up, over to you. When you and I follow Jesus in God's word, the Bible, we can see how much prayer was a priority to Jesus. He was always talking with his father. You look through the gospel accounts and see how many times... You you see Jesus praying in public, mainly in private, going off to a lonely place, we're told, uh, like today's passage. As God's forgiven people, you and me are called to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to watch and pray along the way. How do we do that? Um, If somebody's got an answer, please tell me. But here's one suggestion. Bring God's promises to him and play them in prayer. This is something that we can do. If we've got God's word, we've got the Holy Spirit, we can bring God's promises to him and play them in prayer. We're, we're told, aren't we, um, to ask, to seek, to knock. And He's three, three examples, if you if you don't get them down, you know, ask for them, af- ask for them after or listen to the recording or whatever. Um, in Hebrews, it's just three after chosen. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Sometimes we feel that God has forsaken us. Jesus has felt that. Another one, Second Corinthians twelve nine says this. Second Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you ever feel weak? not always a bad thing. Finally, um, 1 Corinthians 10:13 says this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Why do we fill our minds with God's promises if not to plead them in prayer to him, to put back to him and put to our Father uh, his promises and prayer in that way? Trials and temptations are going to come. They're still going to come. It's doubts and despair. They might still come as well. Is God still in control? We sing it, we see it but is he still in control in that storm of life? Will you and I learn to trust him in trials we don't want to go through? Because let's be face it, the flesh side of me doesn't want to go through pain. we recoil with pain. He will give us the strength and the ability because our Father knows best. A final word, a final word thinking about Gethsemane and the gospel. I said earlier uh, that you and me have got no idea what it was like for Jesus to go through what he went through in Gethsemane, which ultimately took him to the cross. And that's the point. Because Jesus prayed with and obeyed his father, carried out his will, and went to the cross, we will never know. We will never know have to face this cup. God's wrath. Because Jesus took the cup and he drank it down to the dregs on the cross so that you and me wouldn't have to. And how you respond to that has eternal consequences. In the Gospel of John, famous words, but I've extended them slightly because they don't always get quartered. For God so loved the world. This is John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We've been singing about that this morning, haven't we? But whoever does not believe, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I'm not going to labour the point, but if there's anybody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in that way, who hasn't surrendered to him, I'm just going to ask you three very simple questions. Will you admit you're a sinner in the sight of God today? Will you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died on the cross for your sin? Will you confess your sin and call upon his name? The last word is for God from God. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it was with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. Prayer. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Father, I thank you for saving sinners like me. That'll one day gather around your throne to worship and adore you in all of your majesty, bringing glory to you for all of eternity. Lord, I I confess that many times I I fail to watch and pray in my trials and fall into temptation, taking my eyes off you and looking after my own selfish desires. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you still watched and prayed that final evening in Gethsemane, submitting to your Father's will, and you went to finish the work of salvation on the cross. Help me, Father, help my brothers and sisters when trials and temptations come my way, come their way, to watch and to pray like your Son, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and the strength that he can only give. And I ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.